Hello. Hi, I'm Lindsay, and welcome to the first episode of my new film podcast called One Point Perspective. Um, I'm really excited to be recording this for you here today. Um, I've been wanting to do something like this for quite some time because I, if anybody knows me, I study film in college. I've been studying film for two years and I absolutely love what I do. Um, and it's kind of, it's not necessarily traditional. Like I study, I'm, I consider myself a cinema studies major. So, um, I do a lot more theoretical and analytical approaches to film more than like actually making them and writing them and doing production based things. Um, so I think that like I can offer interesting insight to a super inaccessible element of film studies. Um, I love film theory, but it's super fucking hard to read. Like a lot of times I'll be reading 40 page theories that have been translated from a French philosopher in like the 60s. And it's a bad translation. And so you have to read between the lines of like, what the fuck is this guy trying to say? And it's so pretentious and can be really annoying, but it's so fascinating. And I think that it really film and its analysis and its theories can tell us a lot about ourselves and about society as a whole. So I think it's super fucking interesting. And I wanted to share my passion about it with you. And that's why I started this podcast. And that's why I wanted to start with an episode that I'm super passionate about and I've been trying to kind of share in some capacity for a while now. Um, Last April, I came up with this title for this essay called Sex and the Final Girl. And it's my analysis of women in the horror genre and how I originally thought it was a very feminist genre, but through research I've I've found that it's actually quite... uh, anti-woman it's quite misogynistic there's a lot of problems with it and that's what I wanted to talk about today um because it's I don't know when I first started writing it as an essay it just wasn't working I, I made a few drafts I even made kind of a presentation format but all of it was super research heavy and was inaccessible which is what I'm trying to avoid with this podcast I really want to make film studies easily digestible for audiences who don't study it or who aren't willing to devote themselves for like three hours to read a super elitist piece of writing um which like totally understandable nobody really wants to be doing that except for maybe me but whatever that's besides the point I thought that this was a great first episode because I've done a ton of research on it and I feel very confident in what I know and I think that I can offer my own analysis, my own modern take on it, especially as a young woman who absolutely fucking loves horror. Obviously, this episode is going to be critiquing a lot about the genre, um, but I honest to God would not be critiquing it if I didn't absolutely love it with everything about me. Like, horror is so fucking fun, but it's also, there's a lot of problems with it, and we'll get into that. Um, Before we begin, I also wanted to mention that I'm going to be talking a lot about like violence against women, the objectification, sexual exploitation of women. So if that's going to be a problem uh, for you, if if you don't want to listen to that, I totally, totally understand. Just click off. Wanted to let you know that there's going to be moments where like I might explain a graphic um, violent sequence from a film. So just expect that or click off. Either way, I'm all good with it. Okay, now that I think I got all the housekeeping out of the way 
let's kind of get into it and why I originally thought that film was like, or I'm not film, that horror was very feminist. Um, like when I was 10 or 11, I first started getting really into horror films. Like my dad had shown me Alien and that film is so fucking baller. You really need to tune into Alien. Ripley, Sigourney Weaver is so good in that movie. And by the way, I love Aliens as well. Um, maybe fuck off a little bit on the third one. That's not as important, but the first two, magnificent. And so th- those aren't necessarily examples of what I'm talking about because I think they're kind of exceptions to what I'm focusing on in horror and specifically with the slasher. I'm going to be looking a lot at the slasher. That's going to be the primary focus as there's so many subgenres of horror. I think the slasher is probably the most misogynistic of them or the best example of what I'm trying to get at. Anyways, uh, all this to say, I was watching a lot of horror films when I was a young girl and I thought that they were really great representation of women because there were just so many young girls on screen um like for instance I grew up a lot on watching old 80s action movies so for instance like Indiana Jones or if anybody knows like Kurt Russell John Carpenter action movies that kind of stuff uh even Star Wars to a large extent there's women in these films but they always kind of feel like they're tacked on as an afterthought uh, with the exception of like maybe Princess Leia, they're they're not integral to the film as a whole. They're merely love interests or kind of like a sidekick to the male protagonist. And I love those movies, by the way, but they didn't necessarily feel like they were showing women as full people versus in horror. Not that you're having super well-written characters, but you're having more authentic... There, there, there's at least more populations of young women on screen it's more equal um typically you're going to have an equal ratio of men to women on screen in a slasher film and these young women especially the final girl is integral to the plot of the movie like this movie these movies could not exist without girls and without especially the final girl who is the key figure of the film and so growing up and honestly until like the age of 19 when I was sitting in my film studies class I always perceived slasher films and horror as feminist like it was kind of the hill that I was willing to die on um I that's just how I thought about them and then my film professor was explaining that these films actually are pretty misogynistic and I just didn't really believe her at first I was like okay you're going to have to sell me on this because my whole life I've, I've never thought this through in this way and then she was explaining like yeah the final girl is a huge element of the slasher film but she doesn't survive to the end of the slasher because of her femininity she actually survives because she rids herself of it she's a pretty androgynous character actually um who doesn't necessarily embrace what makes her a woman and and typical like gender stereotypes of of womanhood she doesn't necessarily embrace those where her peers who die throughout the film they do embrace those and because they are dressing more feminine because they're interested in boys because they're social going out partying drinking um they're just a little bit more extroverted uh they're killed throughout the film 
and their downfall is their womanhood versus the final girl she is able to survive because she doesn't embrace that element and so because of this and what my professor was saying I was sitting there and I was like damn you're kind of onto something right now like I actually I see your vision I'm there I'm seated um and so after class I just dived into this it really kind of took me by storm and I was out here like in the middle of finals week. I had five other finals to be working on. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to commit myself to JSTOR and reading a bunch of analytical articles for no fucking reason and wasting my time. And I did, as per usual. It always seems like near finals week, I can always find a bullshit project that does not require my attention. And I decide that that's the most important thing in my life. You could even take this podcast, for example, like... I should really be working on reading through some of my English books right now, uh, but I'm not. I'm currently sitting in the back of my closet recording this episode for you. So, you know what? We're stuck in an endless cycle. Anyways, let me get back onto this. I was researching this, and I looked more into the archetype of the final girl and why she is the way that she is um, and how she loses her femininity to survive. So, um, there's this quote by Carol J. Clover who writes this super, super excellent book uh, about horror analysis called Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Um, and that's where I cited a lot of my information from. But she has this her definition of the final girl, because I think it can be interpreted by anyone. And the way I look at the final girl is kind of through different eras of film. Like uh, the 70s final girl differs from that of the 90s final girl versus that of like the modern contemporary final girl, you know, so I think she's ever evolving. But this is more of a 70s. I think we're going to base it off of uh, John Carpenter's Halloween with Laurie Strode. To me, that's like the first final girl. Um, So, yeah, this is uh, Carol J. Clover's definition. The final girl is boyish in a word, just as the killer is not fully masculine. She is not fully feminine. Not in any case feminine in the ways of her friends. Her smartness, gravity, competence in mechanical and other practical matters, and sexual reluctance set her apart from the other girls and ally her, ironically, with the very boys she fears or rejects, not to speak of the killer himself. Lest we miss a point, it is spelled out in her name. Stevie, Marty, Terry, Lori, Stretch, Will. So that is Carol J. Clover's point on the final girl. And I think that that's, that's really accurate because... Like, if we're looking at Laurie Strode, right, she is a 17-year-old girl who has popular friends, but she herself is not popular. She's committed to her studies, to reading, to her job babysitting young children. She very much allies herself with, like, a domestic space. She identifies herself with the traditional role of women in, like, the nuclear family. Um, And she doesn't, she's not interested in boys. She's not interested in sex. She herself feels shame of like who she's attracted to, all that kind of stuff. And she looks, she kind of looks down on like partying and all that kind of stuff. She doesn't really see the point of it. And so because of this, and also just her overall behavior, she doesn't embrace femininity. So she walks like, she's androgynous. She kind of walks the line between the typical men and women stereotype she, she's incredibly androgynous it's like she's a secret third thing um and so that's that's who she is and also because she's androgynous and if we think of the audience of horror films like theater going audiences 
for the most part, are male-dominated, like, cis-heterosexual male-dominated theater rooms are, are seeing these movies. And often, I think it's much more difficult for a man to align themselves with a female protagonist in film than it is for a female audience member or a, a woman to align herself with a male protagonist on film. And so I think that because the final girl is androgynous, she gets a little bit more sympathy from male audiences and they're able to see themselves through her a little bit more than if she, you know, was sexually active, if she showed an interest in boys, if she, you know, if there, if just, if things were different, um, I don't think that the final girl would be as popular as she is in the eyes of a male society. Um, and so in contrast to the final girl, you also have the, the antagonist, like the, it's typically the psychopathic killer. Um, in Halloween, it's Michael Myers. So you have Laurie Strode opposite of Michael Myers and Michael Myers, like many other slasher film antagonists is very, um, anti-woman. He, he's not a supporter. He doesn't, you know, he's not on that whole bandwagon. Um, he also hates sexuality. And this is because as a child, perhaps this character, the antagonist, was introduced to sexuality or femininity in a way that he didn't understand. And it kind of created a perverted state of mind in him. And so because of that, he's like, okay, I have to brutalize women and sexually active people. Like, this is my calling in life. This is what I'm going to be doing. And you see that in Michael Myers when he walks into his older sister's bedroom and she's, like, sitting naked at the vanity, which, by the way, is a whack-ass choice to have, like, you know, showing a naked teenage girl. That That's, like, you know, whatever. We don't have to get into that. Anyways, he sees her and he uh, stabs her to death. Um, because he can't stand the fact that he's looking at a fully developed naked woman and who kind of evokes sexual ideas and is very much the embodiment of a feminine figure. And he, he can't stand that. He also, there's the element of a Sigmund Freud term, um, castration anxiety. He also can't stand the fact that because his female sister doesn't have, like, a penis. He, she cannot be equal to him. Because she doesn't have one, it scares him, it brings him anxiety, and he can't... He has to kill her because of that. He can't stand seeing her as an equal or even having more power over him because she doesn't have a penis while he does. He views it as, like, there's a hierarchy... There's, like, a phallic hi hierarchy in horror movies, which is really crazy, and I'll get into that momentarily. Um... But yeah, basically, that you see this with Michael Myers and his sexual perversion. You see this with Norman Bates and his mother and that fucked up situation. You even see this with, like, Freddy Krueger um, in some ways. And so you have these characters that have a perverted state of mind and feel the need to come after uh, women and sexually active people. Now, going back into this whole phallic hierarchy... I think the weapon that they use speaks a lot to the power dynamic. In horror, specifically in the slasher, you never fucking use a gun. A gun is like, you never see that. That's just not a thing. Because a gun is a distant 
weapon that doesn't require intimacy versus you have like a knife, which is a phallically shaped piece of metal um, and requires the antagonist and the protagonist to be in super close proximity. It creates tension between the two. Um, and, you you know, you see this with like a knife. What is it? A scythe? A, you know, like what you cut grain with. I think it's called a scythe or like a chainsaw. All of these are phallic weapons that are used to brutalize young people in slasher films. I mean, not even all just young people, but just people as a whole by these psychopathic killers. Um, and they're used to kind of bring a horrific intimacy to the, to the scene and to the film and also to um, establish like the power of the male form not just as an like an anatomical way if that like but also a figurative way so whoever has the figurative penis whoever has the knife or the phallic weapon has the power in the film which is just kind of fucking crazy and also this brings up another idea that though horror is so much about gender and specifically like the gender binary of like male and female and that kind of thing it gender also somehow doesn't exist like because the final girl is androgynous and because the antagonist only has power when he has a phallic device it's almost as though gender is more a state of mind than like an appearance thing so the final girl can have the power and kind of become masculine when she obtains the knife or when she obtains the the phallic weapon versus the antagonist when he loses it is castrated and so the power dynamic or the gender dynamic switches when the mindset or the climax of the film kind of occurs and so going back to the final girl and why she survives to the end of the film she survives to the end of the film because first off she's androgynous and doesn't embrace femininity femininity to begin with but secondarily she, over the course of the film, strips herself of anything that does, in fact, make her feminine. So, um, this there's an in a lot of the theories that I read, there's the idea of female paranoia, which I think is kind of like bullshit verbiage a little bit. I think a better term would be female intuition or or like kind of a gut feeling that isn't even dedicated to one gender. But I think, you know, misogyny, everybody thinks that women are kind of like overthink or weak and that's like why they came up with female paranoia but really I think it's just being intelligent and going with your gut feeling anyways a lot of times in horror you see characters who are uncertain about the future who can't make up their mind who are scared and are going off of this intuition which makes them kind of second guess themselves or according to the narrative of the of the film, which as we've established can be quite misogynistic, views them as weak. And so because they're weak for their paranoia or better term intuition, they're killed off by the film and by the antagonist. So in order for the final girl to live, she has to strip herself of this intuition. She has to act on instinct purely and not second guess herself and put her put herself in the shoes of the antagonist so they kind of become equals and on top of this as she strips herself of femininity she gains masculinity if she gains control of the phallic weapon so when laurie strode obtains michael myers knife all of a sudden 
she's kind of like the man of the show now. She has the power. Michael Myers has lost his masculinity. She's kind of figuratively castrated him. And therefore, because she has now become, quote unquote, like the masculine power of the film, she has been able to survive to the end of the movie. And so I just, I think that this representation of the final girl, I I just think it's kind of, I think it's really negative, honestly. As I've said, I love horror films and I, I love this and it's so fun to watch. But if you get into like the analytical element, I think that this doesn't celebrate like femininity. I think it's pretty, it, it discourages um, womanhood and, and that idea. And it's pretty, it pushes misogynistic ideology in like a subconscious way. It's not, it's not super overt. And I definitely wasn't thinking about slasher films in this way before I started analyzing them in my classes and all of this. Um, so I think that if we're looking at these films and we're consuming this media in a subconscious way, it really affects the way that we view um, women in society as a whole. Also, of course, the whole um, way that slashers punish sexually active people and especially like overtly feminine women, that's super negative. And it also promotes domestic domesticity, which isn't ne- like necessarily a negative thing but it also kind of promotes the belief that women should stay it's like women should stay in the kitchen women should not be independent women should stay in the family home that's where they're safe they're only going to live to the end of the movie if they're kind of playing to the ideals of the nuclear family so yeah I think like from a gendered analysis of the slasher film you have a very negative view of women and I don't think I don't think that's great personally I don't love it I don't love it myself if I can be so honest and real with you but that's what I have to say on that um I also have I wanted to also talk about something like viewing the slasher through the lens of sexuality because I think that this is also fascinating to me and something my professor also brought up that I wanted to share with you and like make you aware of because it truly truly changed my mind and like revolutionate revolutionize the way that I consume media and the the effects and consequences that it has on um society but specifically as we're talking about the way women are perceived in our current society and I'm going to start by saying kind of an insane statement so you're going to have to walk with me for a second and this is like if we can imagine all of the genres of film living on a cul-de-sac I feel as though the horror genre is next door neighbors with pornography. I think that horror and pornography are like same, the same, wait, what, how does that phrase go? Opposite sides of the same coin. Um, Like they're always going to each other's houses, sharing recipes, borrowing sugar, all of that kind of stuff. There are so many similarities between these two genres of, of filmmaking and like, yes, pornography i guess technically is filmmaking there's a camera and production involved even though it's very uh outside of of mainstream i would i would say uh the least for (laughs) but um the whole purpose of both of these genres is to create an effect upon the audience both of these 
genres are aware of its viewer. Carol J. Clover says, horror and porn are the only genres devoted to bodily sensation and to making us physically react with shivers, chills, spine tingling, being aware of the body. So these two genres in particular are completely, completely aware and even in some ways acknowledge the fact that they are being viewed. It's a very um, voyeuristic approach, I would say, to... um, film it's kind of like the idea of you shouldn't be watching this but you are and you're finding pleasure from it and this pleasure like porn observes something that you shouldn't be watching in pleasure versus horror observes something that you shouldn't necessarily be watching in pain and not that I mean I have a lot of problems with pornography so I'm going to make a generalization that I don't necessarily agree with so just like hold on Not that either are necessarily inherently bad. Actually, you know what? I don't fucking agree with that. I'm not going to say that. Um, It's just that women in both of these categories of, of film are objectified completely, but in different ways, right? So in porn, it's obvious that women are objectified. It's all about like, tits and, and and watching these women you know in sexual acts it's always focused on the the feminine form and not so much kind of like the masculine form so much um and therefore they're always the center of attention but you don't view these people you don't view these women as people you view them as objects you create a sexual object versus in horror there's a similar um kind of event that occurs where you are viewing women not so much for pleasure to but to watch them in horrific uh situations like watch them in pain being killed by the antagonist right and the way that this happens is similar to pornography where a woman is objectified where you're not looking at her as a person anymore but instead as a victim as a body to watch blood pour from or or to watch gruesome events occur to it like in particular there's this one um film from like the late 1960s it's an italian horror film called bay of blood super like i i mean i enjoyed it it was kind of fun um but there's this one shot in it the sequence where there's a young woman running away from her predator and she goes into likely the bay Uh, And she's, of course, naked because this is a 1960s Italian horror film. That's just the way that it's going to be. She runs naked into this bay and um, the killer comes up behind her with a scythe. I think it's called a scythe. I really fucking wish I knew how to pronounce this correctly. Um, And he holds it against her neck and the like blood's dripping down her breasts and everything. Like you see her face pause in kind of an erotic um moment because she's like her neck is being pulled up against and you you only see her body and so you're not thinking of her as a person but instead is like okay well there's so much blood and guts and gore and then also there's her tits right so it's again an objectification but not in pleasure even though i do believe audience members may take pleasure in seeing this there's also a pleasure in seeing the woman being brutalized which I think is obviously a huge problem within this media. And I I think that now, like, I don't want to get so serious. I'm obviously, like, I enjoyed this film, 
But I also think that it, you can view it in multiple ways, right? You can read the text like, hey, I just want to watch this movie because I love shitty, campy horror films and it's going to be fun for an hour and a half. Or you can watch it and be like, okay, so how do women actually exist in this universe and why is it bad for our society? That's the approach that I'm taking right now, but it's not the approach that I always take. Like, as I said earlier, I would not be analyzing this genre if I didn't fucking love it as much as I do. So, though there's problems with it that hold very, very valid arguments, you don't... Movies are fun, and you don't always have to take them this seriously. I just wanted to point out something that has been blowing my mind for the past year about the way that feminism is viewed in the slasher film or lack thereof is there is it a feminist genre personally i don't think so but whatever so um let me see i'm looking at my notes right now yeah both genres objectify women's bodies um also something crazy 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 is the way that the camera movements in both of these genres are so fucking similar so like um in horror films there's often a POV shot or it's called an eye shot where the camera takes on the perspective of the antagonist's eye. So it feels as though the audience is looking at everything that the antagonist is looking at. This is often going to be a shaky handheld camera moment. This is going to be something where you're peeking around doors and corners and things like that. And you're looking at, if you're the antagonist, you're looking at your victim the the prey of the film the protagonist the final girl the final girl and her friends and you're looking at them as victims almost like you're through a keyhole it's incredibly voyeuristic and there's this um term by again i do not fucking love sigmund freud it's just he has a ton of theories about like sexual perversion and they're super applicable to this subject in particular um he has this phrase called or not phrase he has this word that he uses to kind of define this effect called scopophilia and essentially scopophilia is how do i how do i describe this it's where you're essentially kind of viewing others as like an object you in a in a voyeuristic like you shouldn't be looking at this kind of a way so you strip humans of everything that makes them a person to you and you look at them as an object or like I think it's easy to look at them as like a lab rat so you you kind of take away everything that makes them their humanity and looking at them as something that you can put through all these tests but through horrific situations exploit their trauma and all kind of stuff like that in a way that the scopophilic gaze is pleasurable in kind of a perverse way and so this scopophilia is visually represented aesthetically in the film through these handheld POV eye shot kind of moments. And this is also, again, shown in uh, pornography as well. Like in pornography, the camera is showing two people or more involved in a sexual act. But as an audience member, you're aware that you're looking in on something that you shouldn't necessarily be looking at. This is a very intimate moment, and you know that the camera is being held by another person. You're kind of like a ghost in a room where you shouldn't be looking at this, but you are. And so there's a very similar dynamic of like voyeurism and perversion between these two genres, which is why they're so similar. And why I think that potentially a lot of the issues that I have and in general the problems with pornography 
may in turn bleed over to some of the problems that exist within the genre of horror. Um, And also, as we're talking a lot about sexuality, obviously, when you're going to go see a horror film, I think sex is most prevalent within this genre. Like, you can always kind of expect, like, oh, if I'm seeing a horror film, we're probably going to watch two horny teenagers get it on. Like, that's just likely what's going to be happening. Um, And so, yes, sexuality is expressed more visually on screen than in other film genres, perhaps. But like I've been saying, it doesn't celebrate sexuality. Like, just because these people are sexually active and, and having sex doesn't mean that the film agrees with it necessarily because almost every time um, characters have sex on screen they get killed before the end of the movie like again referencing bay of blood there's this sick fucking shot like it's really crazy i kind of i was gagged when i first saw this where the killer uh walks in on like a bedroom where these two people are fucking and he like throws the spear onto the bed and it goes through the man like is on top and the woman's beneath and it goes through both of them and it's so fucking violent it was the craziest death shot i think i've ever seen in my entire life um but that's just an example of like we a visual very clear obvious moment where yeah that's like don't fucking have sex if unless you want to live to the end of the movie like it's a death wish really So a lot of, like, conservative ideologies, like conservative parents, um, a lot of very religious people, um, honestly, most of mainstream society really looks down and criticizes horror movies because they believe that they're cheap B-movies that only show sex and blood and gore. And while, like, yes, that's kind of true, I think if we stripped everything away from the horror genre that they're talking about there's actually a lot like they're kind of on the same team low-key like they both celebrate domesticity um keeping women within the the home um they kind of frown on independent women who are sexually active they don't like sex at all this is like the same beliefs that the very conservative nuclear family is taking like that's their stance on horror so they're kind of in agreement which is why i think a lot of the criticism that comes from these kinds of people is bullshit however what i don't think is bullshit is what i've been talking about like the way that the camera along with the antagonist of the film is actually a danger to women to women because it objectifies their bodies and strips them of like their personhood necessarily which i think can have impacts on media consumption especially when your main audience who is watching these people especially young women being brutalized and having sex when your main audience is cis heterosexual males i think that that can really affect the way that they perceive women and can in turn um have ramifications on the way they treat and view women within their own lives which is why i wanted to have this whole conversation to show that there are real world uh ramifications they're real world they're real world consequences for the media that we consume and i think that this is especially prevalent in the conversation with women in horror and the way that they are represented on screen and the way that representation affects the way they are treated in real life so that was kind of my analysis on gender and sexuality but something that i really wanted to bring up in conversation with this argument 
was I feel like I'm really missing out on the fact that horror is an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly popular um, subject for queer communities, in particular, like trans communities, uh, especially when we're talking about body horror. I think that um, like obviously queer people are just drawn to the freaky stuff. And by freaky, I mean like very much complimentary. I love being a freak. I think being a freak is like the greatest compliment a person can give you. Be a weirdo. Be kind of odd. That's all. I love that. And so I think that because horror horror movies draw these kinds of audiences, there's more freedom in the way that people can view the genre and especially the way like if we're talking about body horror in relationship to trans communities the way the freedoms that this subgenre of horror offers their own perceptions of themselves like for instance um body horror is it's obviously within the title it's obsessed with the human form and the way that it works like the interior body the organs and all the nervous system all that kind of stuff but also the exterior appearance and how that can be manipulated the function of the bodies or the function of the body and what it's capable of and pushing it to the next form and so I think like yeah obviously queer and trans communities are going to flock to this because it's so it doesn't celebrate convention like so many other genres of filmmaking and media as a whole like the standards for what people are supposed to look like these days is just we are getting to such a dark fucking place. It's, it is so bad. And so I think that if you can watch any form of media that's going to free you from the chain of like Instagram models and steroids and all that kind of shit, you need to be consuming all of that. And I think in particular, body horror creates, it it allows you to view the what the human form is in a very objective way that can provide distance from like what society deems a body should look like and I think especially for people struggling with like body dysphoria and gender dysphoria this can be super super freeing and so because these films kind of show the body in non-conventional ways of like wow I didn't know that we could mix a body with a car and it would be so fucking sick. Um, that is a direct, like, you should be watching David Cronenberg's Crash. And you should also be watching Julia DeCorno's Titan? Titan? I don't fucking know how to say it. I never know if it's French or English. Oh, I mean, it's a French film, but I don't know if I should say it in a French accent or not. Um, that was weird. I'm sorry. By the way, I am in French. Like, okay. Anyways, um, it, it pushes the body to new limits, which I think is something that so many other uh forms of media not even just film kind of frown upon because everybody's like oh you should be dressing in this kind of way you should have this aesthetic you should be cutting your hair like this everybody should be looking the exact fucking same versus in body horror that is like frowned upon nobody wants to look the same the human body shouldn't even look like a human body it should be distorted and manipulated and go through transformations and so i think because of that it speaks to like the trans experience I stumbled across this really great article by Nadine Smith, who herself is a trans woman and wrote about body horror. And she says that 
um, for her, uh, body horror films for me became a kind of training gym, the place where I faced those fears before confronting them in reality, empowering me to take charge and truly claim my flesh as my own. And I think what she means by this is she was able to explore herself through external media. Like, I think within this particular subgenre, the the antagonist doesn't come from an exterior force. Like it's not an, it's not another person and it's not like a natural disaster. It's not some paranormal thing. It's the enemy of, of the protagonist is the body itself. And so I think that when you already establish kind of an inner, um, an inner antagonist, it really allows you to separate yourself from that, separate yourself from the idea of like, the human body versus what you yourself perceive gender and the body as and allows you to explore and play around with what is comfortable to you as a person and what you enjoy looking like and feeling like and I think that that is why body horror can be such a sanctuary to the trans community and to just queer communities as a whole but of course like I mean the community just fucking loves all of horror. Horror is just so much fun and it's like, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, but I just wanted to talk about that in conversation with everything else that I've been talking about because I feel like I've been stuck in such a binary with that conversation. And while it's obviously true that much of horror exists within a very strict gender binary, I also think that I would be doing a disservice if I didn't mention how important horror was to gender expression as a whole and to other communities so that's why I wanted to bring up body horror and also if I have a moment to talk about fucking David Cronenberg I'm going to do it everybody needs to be watching Videodrome that movie is so fucking good it's so fucking weird with a capital W like what an absolute freak but I love it it's so good it's so good I literally watched that like uh, two months ago I think or something like that and I haven't stopped thinking about it once so that comes very highly highly recommended from me. And um, kind of my last thing that I wanted to talk about this episode, because I've been talking so much about like what the final girl is and all this dated kind of analysis of it, and also my own analysis, I wanted to offer the exceptions to what I've been talking about. Because of course, this whole conversation is a generalization. I can't bring up every single example of a final girl within like a 45, 50 minute moment. So I'm making generalizations, but there are, of course, exceptions to these, um, and one of which actually I found from, as I've been saying, a JSTOR article by Kyle Christensen, um, and this was his argument that Nancy Thompson from A Nightmare on Elm Street is um, a better example of what the final girl maybe should be, because, actually, I'll just read the quote, um, Nancy Thompson in A Nightmare on Elm Street, opposite to Laurie Strode, breaks the bindings of what is traditionally associated with a proper woman and sculpts her own womanly, non-masculinized identity through her interactions with men that never verge on dependency. Her refusal to accept the home as her primary sphere and her use of an exceedingly attentive mind and non-violence to succeed, which undermines and transforms many of the anti-feminist elements of Clover's final girl. So essentially, like, what this is going for is that Nancy Thompson doesn't embrace androgyny. She very much accepts her like her her femininity and, and is a strong young woman within the film whereas Laurie Strode 
walks the line um, and plays a more androgynous role. And on top of this, Nancy Thompson also, I believe, has a boyfriend or is semi-sexual. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I think she has a boyfriend or is sexually active in some way, which obviously is counter to uh, the previous example of like Laurie Strode and um, traditional final girls from the 70s. And also, the whole going back to the whole female intuition thing, um, Nancy Thompson survives to the end of this film because she relies on her intuition, because she relies on the things that make her nervous and that she doesn't feel are right. Like, when everybody else doesn't believe what she's saying about Freddy Krueger, she remains, like, she remains so, um, what is the word I'm looking for? So established? No, she... She, she just has a resolve about what she believes and what she knows is going on with the whole like dream, don't go to sleep, all of that kind of stuff. And so everything that Laurie Strodes does to survive her film, Nancy Thompson does the opposite of and ends up surviving her film and is distinctly a little bit more of a feminist character than Laurie Strode is and then more feminist than Halloween as a whole is. So I think that is an excellent subversion. And I also wanted to talk about the Ty West's 2022 film Pearl starring Mia Goth because I absolutely fucking loved that movie. So, so, so much fun. Um, and I also think that that was a subversion of the traditional slash, the traditional slasher, not necessarily the whole final girl element, but just because I think instead of having like a final girl, you actually have a, a female... Um, antagonist and a female psychopath who's doing the whole the same thing and while there's definitely elements of the final girl like pearl is a young woman who wants to go out and see the world wants to attain fame wants to just leave the domestic space just as like nancy thompson does in nightmare on elm street she is chained to her her family home to her family farm by her mother Um, And so there's a lot of traditional womanly like stereotypes put upon the narrative of the film that obviously Pearl doesn't agree with and makes this very, very clear when she, though she takes a phallic weapon of like, uh, what is it, an axe, because she doesn't take it from another masculine character and she instead just adopts it herself, I think that adds a sense of power that she's kind of finding her own masculinity within her womanhood that isn't necessarily misogynistic in my like in my perspective of it um and so I I find that then of course she goes off and she does her little killing spree and she has her moment I think that that also subverts a lot of the stereotypes of Carol J. Clover's final girl of the final girl from the 70s but also bringing kind of a fresh take on the slasher genre as a whole which I, I just loved that movie. I, I'm so fucking, I, one of my huge problems, like not to go on a small rant, but let me do it anyways. The Oscars never fucking nominate horror films for anything because as I mentioned earlier, everybody views horror as like a B movie. And I'm just kind of like, what the fuck are you saying? Like, it's so, horror films are so, like, they're honestly one of the best genres of filmmaking. I think you, I think it's really clear when you have a strong director when you can make a really good horror film because they're so easy to make, but they're very hard to make well. Anyways, what am I saying? I, I think that I think that Pearl is a great example of kind of a subversion of a lot of the stereotypes that I've been saying, and as a whole, it's just an excellent movie. 
So that's my argument. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope maybe you took something away from it. Um, I also hope this wasn't too academic. I don't know. Like, my whole thing here is I want to just make cinema studies more accessible because I think it's so fucking cool and has, like, real-world benefits but isn't super popular. And so I'm hoping that maybe this can make it. I don't know. I hope... I hope you took something from it, and I hope it wasn't too pretentious, and yeah. Anyways, there there you have it. Um, I'm going to be uploading every other Wednesday, so you can expect another episode in like two weeks, right back here. I'll be here. Um, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in, and talk to you soon.